Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Thank you. Laura Sinconis is here. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> All right. Well, happy early Merry Christmas to everyone. Uh, next weekend, right, is, is the big day. And we're in our third week um, of, our, of our Why Christmas or Why Jesus Came series. And with Christmas only eight days away, I wanted to take a moment and see if anyone wanted to share maybe a Christmas tradition that they were particularly fond of. Maybe you do it in your household or do it growing up. Does anyone want to just shout one out and share it with us? Read the Christmas story? Okay. Did I hear eating? Is that what you said? <laughs> eating a lot? <laughs> we do that too. Ice cream cake for baby Jesus? Great. Anyone else? Laura, you got one? <laughs> Very nice. Christmas Eve at, the, fam- at the, the parents' house. That's great. We had one growing up that I, was always, I always thought was kind of funny but interesting, too. My parents, um, they would always make us, we would get up like really, really early, like all good children do on Christmas Day. Um, and my parents would always make us stand at the top of the steps so they could make sure that that, uh, that Santa Claus had come, right? They had to make sure that he ate the cookies, you know? And they had to make sure that the presents were under the tree and make sure that the stockings were stuffed. And, and while they were doing all of this, there was always a little bit of bickering amongst us seven kids because my parents always liked us to come down the steps in age order, youngest to oldest. And my older brothers and sisters would always get upset and they'd fight with my younger brothers and sisters. Oh, we're going to go down oldest to youngest this year. And me sitting there as the middle child was like, I don't really care. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. I'm good. It's like the one time that being the middle child actually paid off. But the point is we all have Christmas traditions, right? And there's nothing wrong with them. We celebrate them. We love them. Um, and, but what I love about this series that we've been walking through is that we aren't allowing Jesus to become just another one of our traditions, right? We all think of like the nativity scene and Jesus in the, in the manger and all that stuff. And if we're not careful, that can kind of just become another tradition. But what we've done in this series, which I love, is we focused on some really deep, impactful reasons that Jesus came to earth and how they affect us now like 2,000 plus years later. Because the reality is that Jesus came to bring the good news of God's kingdom. Right? He brought the good news for everyone, not just a certain group of people. He brought the good news for everyone, and he calls us to share it as well. So I wanted to kind of reflect back on where we've been in the first couple of weeks of this series. The first week, Pastor Sean talked to us about um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? He taught us that, that loving our neighbor means offering mercy sacrificially and compassionately. And that Jesus had been infinitely merciful to each and every one of us. He calls us to show that mercy by meeting real needs through sacrificial deeds. That was kind of the tagline of that message, meeting real needs through sacrificial deeds. And then last week, Pastor Sean talked about, we focused on justice, right? We looked at Isaiah 58. We saw that that seeking justice on behalf of the marginalized and vulnerable is essential to true worship of God. Because we can't say that we truly worship God and we love what he loves if we don't uh, seek justice for those that need need it most. And each of these messages was kind of geared to us on a personal level. Right? How are we going to respond individually to those things? But this morning, we're going to look at what happens when we think about this mercy concept from a corporate mindset. Not like corporate America mindset, but like corporate church, like our church family. And our key passage that we're going to be in this morning is Acts 4.32 through 37. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, you can dig out your Bibles. It's also going to be in your outlines if you want to follow along as I read. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind 
and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So what does this passage say about why Jesus came? What can we learn from the early church and the way that, that uh, they operated as they continued to grow and make disciples? That's what we're going to flesh out today as we ha- continue this conversation on why did Jesus come. If you haven't already, you can dig out your outlines. We're going to go right into our first point, um, and that is Jesus came to unite us as a family. Jesus came to unite us as a family. So we go back to, to verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. So there's kind of this theme going on, an overarching theme of being united in heart and mind. Have you ever been part of something or part of a group of people that was so focused on like the big picture that they kind of put their, their, their own stuff aside, right? It's a really powerful thing to feel like you're in a situation where the big picture is bigger than, than, than even yourself, right? We see this oftentimes in sports, right? When, when people go and, and try to win a championship, as much as it hurts me to say this, the New England Patriots have been like the poster child for this over the past like decade or so. The Patriots constantly have like really good players that were like stars on their own team come and play for them and take lesser roles so that they can buy into this Bill Belichick's kind of uh, scheme or, or ideas so that they can win a championship, and it works. The Patriots are always in contest. They play the Steelers today, right? Yeah, Sean knows. <laughs> they play the Steelers today. Um, I don't care who wins that game, but they play the Steelers today, and they're always, the Patriots are always in contention. And it's because Bill Belichick just has this ability. He's their coach. He has this ability to get all 53 of those people all 53 of those players on their roster, to buy into what he's thinking, to buy into um, his, his philosophy and get on the same page and be sold out to what he's trying to get them to do. Now, this might be the only time in your life that you hear the, the Axe Church compared to the New England Patriots, but I think it applies because those players are sold out to Bill Belichick and his philosophy. And in the same way, the Axe Church, they are sold out to Jesus. Right, they're sold out to Jesus, they're committed to the church, they're committed to each other, and they are united in heart and mind. Now, depending on the translation that you read, this verse might say that they're united in heart, mind, soul, emotion, whatever the words that they actually use here, the big picture is that they were united with the whole of their beings. Right? They were in this 100%. And there's a whole conversation that we're going to have as to why they were so united, but I want to give you a little bit of context of, this, of, of what's going on and what got them to this place of being so united. At the beginning of Acts 4, Peter and John, who were apostles and they were kind of leading the church at this time, they were arrested, right? They're arrested for preaching about Jesus' resurrection, right? And they're brought before the Sanhedrin, which was kind of like the legal body, religious legal body of the time. They're brought on trial before them and they're threatened um, and and. They really don't have much to hold them on. So what they do is they, they send them out and they give them this stern warning of, don't preach about Jesus' resurrection again. Don't do that again. 
And this was a big deal because the church at this point in time had grown to over 5,000 people, right? And it got that way because Jesus worked through people like Peter and John to preach about his resurrection. Now they're being told, stop it, right? Stop it. It's a big deal. So these 5,000 people, they begin to pray. They're like, this is a bad thing. This, this is, they're, they're challenging everything that we've done up to this point. So they begin to pray. They ask God for boldness. They ask God to do miracles, and they ask the Holy Spirit to show up and fill them. And you think, like, this is leading toward, oh, my goodness, the God's going to show up, and they're going to do all these great, awesome, amazing miracles, and there's going to be a salvation and all this crazy stuff. But the very next thing, with all this stuff happening and going on, the very next thing that, that Luke, our author, decides to write about is unity. Unity. And it seems kind of, like, anticlimactic. All this stuff's going on. Okay, we should be united. All right. But when you look at what's going on, the choice that Luke makes here, the Holy Spirit prompts him to make, couldn't make more sense. So two other key leaders are arrested. They had these threats against them. And through this adversity, as they pray for the Holy Spirit to show up, the Holy Spirit leads them into unity. And it makes perfect sense because adversity is often defeated by unity. Think about the last argument that you had. Right? It wasn't until you got on the same page with that person that you can kind of work through it and, and, and find some sort of resolution. And we see this at daybreak, time after time. We, we see our church, our church's willingness to band together in a unified front in the face of adversity to overcome things. This unity, fueled by a healthy dependence on God, can bear beautiful fruit for the gospel of Christ. And that is what happened here in the early church that got them to this place of, I need, we need to be unified. We need to be praying. And somehow the Holy Spirit was able to get 5,000 plus people on the same page fully united. I can't get my six-year-old on the same page with me for dinner time, right? But the Holy Spirit gets 5,000 people with different backgrounds, different everything, to be on the same page and to be united. And if that's not mind-blowing enough that he was able to do that, they take it a step further, right? Almost to kind of prove that they are unified. The second half of this verse says that what they owned was not their own. What they owned was not their own. If they shared everything that they had. What they owned was not their own. They shared everything that they had. How many of you guys are familiar with hand-me-downs? Yes? Yes. Okay. Great. You're all on board with me. So again, big family. I was the fourth of seven. Everything that I got, right, I knew it was worn at least by two other people, my two older brothers, right? So I, I didn't get a lot of new clothes growing up. And there was one specific item of clothing that it goes down in like Bolton family lore, right? My brother and my two older brothers, Justin and Michael, at one point in time, my parents had bought them these white sport coats, right? And they were nice. They were balling. Why are you making that face? She's like, white sport coat? <laughs> it was like the 90s, okay? <laughs> but we had these white sport coats, and uh, all five of the Bolton boys wore these things, right? It, we wore, they were heavily used, whether it was going to church or going to like school dances or whatever it was, weddings. They were well used, and they were always available for us to use as long as they fit us, and, you know, they weren't already being used by my other brothers. But the, and the last time I can remember wearing it was like my ninth grade homecoming dance. Man, I looked so good. But ninth grade homecoming dance, wearing this hand-me-down sport coat. I don't think I got a second date with that girl. But <laughs> it worked out because then Karina came along. It was great. But 
each time I wore it, each time I wore those sport coats, I never, I never quite felt like it was my jacket. I never felt like, well, it was my sport coat. I thought of it more as like the Bolton community sport ja jacket, the Bolton fancy clothes, right, that everyone shared. And on a much larger scale, the Axe, and more important scale, by the way, the Axe Church, they're, they're looking at all these possessions that they have in the same way. Like, this isn't ours. These are available for anybody that needs them. Right? This isn't my own. What I own is not my own. But what, what made them do that? Right? What made them kind of have that conversation? I think the answer is in verse 33. It says, the, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. So their perspective was entirely focused on the gospel, right? And if we're asking the question of what motivated these new believers, what got them going in this way, what unified them and brought them to the place of one heart and mind, this is it. The answer is the gospel. And remember that a lot of these people in the early church, they had seen Jesus, Right? They saw him walking and teaching about God. They may have known him. They saw him arrested, maybe. They saw him beaten. They saw him crucified. Some of them may have taunted him as he drugged the cross through Jerusalem right, to be hung on it. But they also saw or at least knew about the empty grave. They saw or at least knew about Jesus' resurrected body. And they could not get this out of their heads, out of their hearts. It welled up so much inside of them that they had to share it. And that's why these threats from the Sanhedrin of stop preaching about that was such a big deal to them. They couldn't contain it. They had seen it. They witnessed it. They knew it to be true, and it was in their hearts. The thing that made them want to unite in one body and spirit and see these possessions that they had as things that could be used to further what Jesus started was that Jesus had conquered death for them. Jesus had conquered death for them. Let that sink in for a second because he did it for you too. This is an amazing thing that Jesus did for each and every one of us. And at times, I'll be honest, I'm guilty of losing sight of just how amazing it was, just how amazing it is. You know, I've been a Christian for 15 years now, and I've read and heard about Jesus' death and resurrection literally thousands of times. And if I'm not careful, I get to a place where I get a little numb to just how unbelievable his resurrection was. I get to a place where the gospel becomes old news instead of the best story ever told. And when we get to that place, the need for unity among our church family, the need for unity in our lives, it diminishes. And that can be a very, very dangerous thing for us. So let these young believers in Acts 4 be an example for us all. They didn't go numb to the gospel. They were focused on being a family who was unified in their desire to further the kingdom of God. And because of that focus, the word says that they, they got this realization that God's great blessing was upon them. God's great blessing was upon them. And what does that mean to have God's great blessing? It's the very thing that they were so very careful not to lose sight of. This resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. So they had an understanding and believed that the gospel was something amazing. It was more than something cool to witness. It was more than some crazy historical event that they could retell. The early church is pointing to this, to Jesus' resurrection and saying, Jesus did that for us. 
And I can point to each and every one of you to include myself and say, Jesus did that for you. And growing up, it would have been really cool to have my own sport coat, right? My own fancy clothes to call my own. I could wear whenever I want to not have to share with my brothers. And as, as cool as that may have been, in kind of a weird way, this sport coat unifies me and my brothers, right? All I have to do is say the words white sport coat, and that takes us right back, right, to a memory, to a time that we wore it, a funny story about it, a memory that in spite of the fact that my parents were providing for seven kids, they figured out a way to give us nice clothes that we need them. In the same kind of way, again, on a much bigger, more important scale, Jesus' resurrection unites us. All I have to do for a lot of you is say his name, and it elicits memories and stories that we can share of what he's done in our lives, of, of what his death and resurrection means for us, and, and the way that he's revealed himself to you over the years. We, like the believers in Acts 4, are united because of the gospel. Jesus' resurrection unites us. We're united with the Acts 4 church because of it. We're eternally rich and eternally united as a family of God because of Jesus. An amazing truth to, to, to have in your heart, but, but what do we do with that? It's an awesome thing to know, but if, if we're a united family and have God's blessing uh, upon us, it seems like there should be a next step for us. We can't just sit on that knowledge and say, hey, we're a united family, that's great. What should we do together as a family to do something meaningful for God's kingdom? That's going to bring us to our second point, that Jesus came to unite us, but he also came to motivate us to be generous came to motivate us to be generous. So once we're united under God's great blessing, our calling is to be generous. We see from verse 32, you know, that the, that the early Acts church had that mindset. What we own is not our own. But my question is, in reading all this, is, is what is it about the gospel that makes people radically generous towards one another? What is it specifically about the gospel that makes people radically generous towards one another? Sit with that question as we pick up in verse 34 here. It says, There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Who can remember buying their first house? Raise your hand. Remember buying your first house? Emily, you got a first house? Yes. <laughs> it's a process, right? I remember when Karina and I were looking, we must have walked through at least 10 houses. You know, you, you try to find the things that you don't like about it because if you find them, you know they're going to irritate the heck out of you once you actually buy the house. You know, we, found, we walked through ones that were too small, ones that didn't have central air, ones that, you know, we wanted to have a family that's not big enough to do that. It might be big enough for us right now, but once we start having kids, that's going to be a problem. And thank goodness, because Derek, oh my goodness. <laughs> but, like, all this stuff you consider until you finally find the house that, you, you know, you settle on. It's like, yeah, this is the one. And then once you're in the house, you spend all this time and money and energy making it the way you want it to, fixing things up, whatever it is. And for a lot of us, our houses kind of become this, this source of pride for us because of how hard you worked on them and, and all that. Now, in case you missed it in verse 35, with all that in mind of all the hard work you put into your house, 
No one was needy because people were literally selling their houses to meet the needs of others. They were selling them. In the first week of our series, Pastor Sean challenged us, right? He said, show mercy by meeting real needs through sacrificial deeds, right? I think the whole, like selling your house to meet needs, like that fits the bill for a sacrificial deed. Now, I have to be honest, the house sacrifice conversation might be a pretty difficult one for me to have, right? And I, probably a lot of you would share that, that opinion, but this is what they were doing in the early church. They're selling their houses and property to meet the needs of the church family. Who does that, right? Who, if I, I'm not going to, don't do this, but if I asked you to raise your hand if you were willing to do this, I'd be curious to know how many hands would go up. But the answer is to who does that? The answer is someone who is thankful for how rich they truly are. These people looked around at their church family and said, God has blessed me so much, right? And these people aren't just strangers that I accidentally ran into, Right? They are people that God purposely unified me with. Look around the room. The people around you are your church family. You are purposefully unified with the people around you. I'm purposely unified by God with you to be your family. Now, outside looking in, this is crazy to think about. Right? These people are so united that they're going to sh- sell their houses to, to, to meet each other's needs. People don't do that now. It's not within our culture to do that kind of stuff especially without thinking about what I might get in return. But what the early church is saying, what I think we should be challenging our own church family to say is, I don't care that people outside of my church family think that I'm crazy. We're not going to be defined by the cultural norms of what we should do when it comes to providing for each other. In fact, we're so grateful for what Jesus has done and the family that he's given us that we're going to break the box on this generosity thing. That's what God's challenging us to do this morning. That's that's what the message of the Acts Church is. The way that we get to this place is by allowing God to make us not into just a unified group of people, but a unified family. The Bible says that without Jesus, we're like orphans. We're lost. There's no God to turn to, no family to surround us with love and generosity. Many of you can remember being in that place, kind of helpless and hopeless. Some of you might be in that place now. But Jesus looks at us in that state. He looks at us in that state and says, he reaches out. He calls to us because he knows that when we accept him, we become his adopted sons and daughters. When we accept him, we become part of his church, part of his family. And when we do all that, all the barriers that once separated us, age, race, culture, social statuses, all of them go away. They're removed and we're united as brothers and sisters in Christ, as God's adopted family forever. Again, if you look around the room, we come from all different kinds of places. But God says, I don't care about all that. We're united in the fact that I'm your Savior and I'm your Father and you're my adopted sons and daughters. You might be sitting here thinking about like your earthly family, right? You know that there's nothing you wouldn't do to help them if they were in trouble. Karina's a great mom, right? She always, she does what she can to take action when she needs to and always make sure that she's doing everything to provide for and, and, and be, be with my, myself and the kids. And I can remember there's tons of examples of times when she took action out of love. One that I think of is about a year or so, two years or so ago, Derek broke his arm, right? He was playing on the playing at, at school, he's playing on, on the jungle gym and fell off and, and broke his arm. Well, Karina sprung into action, got him to urgent care, got the x-rays taken, got his, he had a little soft cast and, and took care of him. It's because she loved him. She cared about him. 
The message, I think, is we should be springing into action with the same intentional love and generosity when someone in our church family has a need, as Karina did when she sprung into action because her little man had a broken arm. We're not together by accident. We're here purposefully unified by Christ to be generous and help each other meet those needs. And if you look at the model that's demonstrated by the Acts Church, it isn't just one or two people out there saying, yeah, I can do this on my own. They are pooling resources. The entire church of 5,000 plus people is making sacrifices to be generous, to meet needs. They're pooling their resources to multiply the impact that they're able to have. And this isn't a foreign concept of, of pulling, pulling uh, resources. It happens every day in our culture, even organizations that aren't motivated by Jesus and the gospel. I look at the past couple months have all had kind of like cancer awareness uh, themes. October was breast cancer awareness. November brings no shave November, which I know all the ladies love. The no shave November uh, to, to raise um, awareness and money for men's cancer and other, other male health issues. ESPN has the V Foundation where they raise money to, to fight cancer. And they're all successful initiatives and organizations. And they do great work raising money to, to fight this horrible disease of cancer. But, but if they can do so much, right, if they're so successful and can do so much without an affiliation to the gospel of Jesus, can you imagine the things that our church family can do if we begin to pool our resources knowing that we're following our God-given calling as a church family to be generous. You know, maybe not sell our houses. I'm not going to call anybody that today. Maybe not sell your houses, but use the motivation that you might be feeling right now as an eternally rich son or daughter of God and maybe be a little bit more generous. What might that look like for you? And you might not realize this, but, but when you tithe to daybreak, when you give to daybreak, 20% of everything that you give is given away to meet needs, right? Some of it is needs within our church family. Some of it goes out into our community. And, and some of it even goes out and helps out our international par partners across the world. And even in my short time on staff here at Daybreak, I've been amazed with some of the ways that God has used our pooled resources to meet needs, to meet needs in our community, in our church, and internationally. God uses your generosity to fuel, and, to fuel our church family's ability to meet needs. And it's truly, truly awesome to see. And I wanted to share a video from one of our, our Gettysburg Pike Daybreakers. His name is Craig Hatch, and he's served at Daybreak in a number of capacities. But I wanted to give you the opportunity to, to hear some of Craig's encouragement uh, when it comes to generosity. He's going to share a little bit about our budget and what motivates him to be generous as part of our spiritual family. Is that playing? Well, it was a great video. <laughs> and in it, Craig Hatch talked about uh, generosity <laughs> and lots of things. But, um, <laughs> and he's wearing an awesome sweater vest, too, by the way. But uh, there is a part where Craig, um, he, he talks about that, it, that he loves, he gives because of gratitude for what God has done in his life, right? And because... Sorry, I got distracted by the screen. And because of the relationships, he's grown as part of our spiritual family. So he's, he, he loves being generous because of the, out of gratitude for what God's done, and he's grown because of the relationships 
in, her spir- in our spiritual failure. You have it? Carl's giving me the signal. So what I said is going to make a whole lot more sense now. It's not easy to really do a video on giving because, frankly, nobody wants to watch a video on giving. What people don't always realize is that, first off, sometimes you have a budget that gets passed, but then there's needs that arise that are outside of what you can possibly plan for. And I think the other thing is this time of year, it's important to remind ourselves the benefit and the gift that we've been given. What are we willing to do to help spread that message so others can know that joy? I think going back to when I started coming to Daybreak, what attracted me was that Daybreak, more than just about any church I've ever attended, focuses on outreach, bringing people who are lost back into a relationship with God and doing it in a way that is not over the top, but is more relationship-based. And particularly why I, I give at Daybreak isn't because of what I've received, but because of what I've seen Daybreak is capable of giving to other people. When you look at people's lives who are changed, when you look at uh, the ministries that reach out to other people, what I see is people helping others in ways that I know I can't do. But I do know that I can give and I can help support the ministries so that other people will experience the same benefits that I got, that they can connect to a spiritual family that will be there for them, that will bring them back into a relationship with God, which is the primary focus of Daybreak's ministries. So when I hear that they have needs so that they can reach the, the minimum essential elements of ministry, I feel that I should give to that because it's a reflection of what God has done in my life and the relationships that I have been so blessed to have been given at Daybreak. All right, there it was. So you heard him say it, like, uh, gratitude for what God's done in his life and because of relationships he's grown as part of our spiritual family. That's what we're getting at, right? When we can come together as a spiritual family and give and meet needs, do things to meet each other's needs, meet needs outside of our church family. Pastor Sean has this saying that he says every time we talk about giving, right? He says, we ask you to give not because we want something from you. You can probably finish it. Because we want something for you, Right? And I've always, I've heard that, I kind of, in generally, I, I know what that means, but as, we're, as I was praying over our, our time together this morning, God kind of really, he put this in this perspective for me. He kind of confronted me with just like Jesus on the cross, right? If you can close your eyes and just imagine Jesus hanging there on the cross. Now, as, as I'm looking at this and thinking about this, as I saw him there, I began to think that I can't, I can't imagine that as he's hanging there, bleeding, dying, that one of the things that's going through his head is, man, I'm doing this so that they can give their 10%, right? I don't think that's going through Jesus' head in that moment. But something that, as, as it relates to the stuff that we've been discussing this morning, I think that what Jesus may have been saying in that moment was, I'm doing this because I love them. And I love them so much that I'm going to be their father. I'm going to give them a family. And he looks at us and says, son, daughter, you are eternally wealthy. You're part of my family. Will you sell out for me? 
Will you sell out and be generous so that others in our family can be taken care of? Will you sell out for me so that people can be added into our family and they can be taken care of? So as you sit here this morning with your your eyes closed and just thinking about Jesus on the cross and that kind of thing playing out, maybe he's saying that to you. Put yourself at the foot of that cross. What's your response to him? Will you sell out to Jesus so that your church family can be taken care of? Will you sell out to Jesus so that people can be added to our family? Will you sell out to Jesus so we can meet needs in our community and internationally? What's your response to that question? And and if you want to pull out your response cards in this moment right now and, and write down what is your response to that? What do you say to Jesus as he asks you that question? You know, maybe you are selling out and kind of want to reconfirm that commitment this morning. You can write that on your response card. Maybe you want to start your journey of generosity this morning. And to help you with that journey, we have on your response card a four-month giving challenge that you can take part in. We have a follow-up process as part of that. We send you resources. We send you reminders to say, hey, thank you. Thank you so much for, for making that commitment. Whatever it is, whatever way you feel led to respond, to answer that question from Jesus, use your response card and let us know so that we can be in prayer and communication with you. Our prayer as a church, our prayer this morning is that God is able to change hearts and lives through the generosity of our church. Would you join us in that prayer and allow God to work through you and your family, your church family, God has united you with, to impact others for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, so much for giving us a family, for being our father, for allowing us to be your adopted sons and daughters. Call us to be generous because you truly do want something for want something for us, God. As we rely on you and and, and give our resources and and our belongings to you, to use in whatever way you you desire, God, we ask that you would multiply them. We ask that you would do a work in us, God, as we see what you are able to do and we pull our resources together as a unified church family, God. We thank you that Daybreak is so able to make an impact on our community, and make an impact internationally, God. Thank you for the generosity of our, of our, of our, our church family, God, and just ask that you would, have, you know, you may even speak right now into making a commitment for you. We love you so much, in Jesus' name, amen.